good morning. Good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or on the internet somewhere, maybe in the chapel or the warehouse here. We're glad that you guys are along uh, today. And uh, this is going to be interesting today. I'm telling you up front, this will either work or it won't. And we'll all know in just a few minutes. But what we're doing is we're, um, we're starting a series called Legacy. And uh, the idea is, what do you want to be known for? Now, uh, a lot of times there's a gap between where I am now and what I want to be known for. Anybody understand that? And so during this series, we're going to talk about a lot of things that you can leave a legacy in. Uh, one week, we're going to talk about workplace legacy. Uh, how can you leave a, a, a legacy in the marketplace? We'll talk about financial legacy. How do you leave a legacy to, uh, in, in your finances? Uh, we'll talk about personal legacy, spiritual legacy. But today, uh, we're going to talk about family legacy. And uh, I'll introduce you to these guys. Now, first of all, some of the ladies are going, uh, are ladies not a part of legacy? Yes, they are. But what we're doing in this series is the last message that we do uh, will be all ladies. And uh, so we'll give them their swing then. Today, we've got the guys up here, and I want to introduce you. This is my father, uh, Hubert Surratt, and uh, he, yeah, he's 84 years old. He's been a pastor, a missionary. He lives with me next door, and uh, he's great. All right, so actually, he is. He's awesome and never quits. My, my computer went off here. This what? is Jason, if you this forgot. This is Jason right here. Okay. Why don't you go ahead? This is Josh. I don't know how to get this thing open. Here we go. There we go. And this, Jason's my number one son, first one, firstborn. Uh, wow. True. The things you learn in True. front of thousands of your friends. And uh, Josh is number two, and he's our lead pastor here. And somebody asked me earlier in the hall, they said, why are you up? You should be resting after Easter. And that's true. I should be. But you said, no, we want you to be here. So I'm here. I'm happy to be here. You're here next week, too. Yeah, this is my boss now. And then this is, uh, yeah, I'll be up next week also. And this is Miles, who is my 10-year-old grandson, my oldest grandson. Yeah. And uh, Miles, what did you do yesterday? I ran the bridge, um, the bridge run in an hour and seven minutes. That's awesome. That's awesome. <clears throat> you think you could have got a little better time if you hadn't had to drag your dad along with you? Yeah, probably. Okay, I thought so, too. <laughs> so let's talk about legacy. Um, our family legacy, up until just a few years ago, was really not something you wanted to tell a lot of people about. I'll never forget that uh, on my, uh, I was about nine or ten years old, on the 100th anniversary of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln in Denver, Colorado, where I grew up, on the front page of the paper, they showed a picture of the first woman ever hung by the United States government, who was Mary Surratt. So we were involved in the assassination of, of a president, and uh, then it kind of went downhill from there. And uh, <laughs> literally, um, my grandfather is where this part of our legacy begins as Christ followers. And I have a book here. It's brand new, um, and it's called What Prayer Can Do, and it's a collection of essays about people uh, that were written by a, a lady named Ada Nicholson Brownell, Answers to Prayer. 
And one of the chapters in here, in fact, chapter 13, is titled, The Meanest Man in Town. Um, and it's about my grandpa. So let me just, let me just write, I'm going to read the first paragraph. Ennis L. Surratt, could you put the picture up of grandpa and grandma? This is after he cleaned up a little bit, but this is grandpa and grandma and, and their, their kids. He said that Ennis L. Surratt clutched the cool metal handle of his 45 pistol. Through the weeds, he could see three men coming. He knew they would come near where he crouched because they would be coming after the barrel of whiskey that, that, that had disappeared from his still the night before. And so a couple of things about Grandpa. He was self-employed. And, uh, <laughs> and he was a big Second Amendment guy, okay? <laughs> yeah. That particular gun battle, he, he, he ambushed them is what he did. They stole some whiskey from him, and he found the barrel, knew that they'd be coming back, and uh, uh, it didn't turn out well for uh, one of them. But anyway, or for Grandpa either. I think he was pretty shot up by the whole, whole deal. But Grandpa was a gunfighter. He was an outlaw. He was a bootlegger, and he represented his family well. That's kind of what the family was about. And the story is the story of a couple of... Uh, uh, ladies who came to their hometown in Oklahoma, Fairview, Oklahoma, I think it was, and uh, wanted to preach up a church. That's how you did it back in the day. You preached up a church. and So they had a revival, and it wasn't going all that well, and they decided, what if the meanest man in town committed his life to Christ? That would really turn this place around, and that's what happened. Uh, my grandfather, through a series of events, uh, committed his life to Christ, and then he became a pioneer pastor, which I call church planters today, and planted churches all over uh, Oklahoma and uh, Southern California. And Dad, you kind of were raised in that environment, and you felt a call to preach early in your life. Uh, yes. How old were you? I was 14 when I began to preach. 14 years old. We have a picture of him preaching at 14 years old. Here's a revival. Dad, you're the taller one. That's tall in the Surratt family, okay? But... Uh, <laughs> Where was this at? How old were you here? And where was this at? This was in Hooks, Texas. Hooks, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, you were preaching uh, all over. Yes. How'd you work that with the uh, principal of the school? Well, I made an agreement with the principal that I could miss one third of the school days and still be a, uh, an actual uh, get credit for grades. And so I did that, and I, I joined together with uh, holidays and off days and, and put it together and traveled all over the country and uh, was a legitimate student at the same time. Yeah, you were uh, uh, on the debate team. Yes. You were the debate champion. That's right. We were debate champions of the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, that's not fun when you're a kid growing up to have your dad as the debate champion. It just doesn't go anywhere. You don't win a lot of arguments. So we were going through a box the other day, and of your sermons, you've kept all of your sermons. They're not well filed, but they're in a box. And we were looking for a couple of messages, and we came across the first sermon you ever preached at 14 years old. Put it on the screen. I think we've got it on the screen. Tell us, that, that's his, he typed it out. That, uh, what was the name of that sermon? The, the name was Five good things in hell. Five good things in hell. <laughs> so, 
Even at 14, you were spitting fire and brimstone. <laughs> well, I was a positive preacher. I was positive you'd go to hell if you didn't repent. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, so you need to know this isn't scripted today, so he's liable to say anything. Don't encourage him. <laughs> so, uh, so you continued to preach, and, uh, and uh, uh, while I was growing up, you were a, a pastor uh, in Denver, Colorado, and you moved on to other places. We'll talk about that in a little bit, and also uh, did some missionary work. So what we're going to talk about a little bit is how do you leave a family legacy? Okay? And we're going to try to give you some practical handles and maybe some inspirational stories. We'll see. But uh, Josh, why don't you kind of kick that off? Absolutely. And if you have your outline sheet, you can kind of follow along with that too. And I'm obviously grateful to have been born into a family that, uh, that has a strong legacy and some things that uh, are good about that, some things that aren't so good. We'll talk about some of those too. But, but the first thing I think that you have to realize is you're going to leave a legacy one way or another. And so the first thought is decide what kind of legacy you want to leave. And make a decision about what kind of legacy that you want to leave in your life. And I think there are two different approaches that people take with this. You have kind of the diary approach. Any of you guys have like a diary when you were growing up? You remember what you did with a diary is at the end of the day, you would pretty much write out what happened during your day. You'd kind of keep track of it. And, and some of us live our lives in such a way that we're just kind of hoping that at the end of the day, at the end of our life, uh, people will say good things about us, but we're not super intentional about what we want to do. And so I would encourage you, rather than the diary approach, kind of approach it with a blank slate, with, with more like a, a vision plan, a bucket list of, uh, this is just a, an open journal, and take it out and go, what do I want to be known for? What do I want my family's legacy to be? And begin to write some of those things out. What are the values that you want your kids to to live by when they're faced with tough choices later in life? What, what values do you want to guide those decisions? What experiences do you want to give them? And I know that's something that we've done. Lisa and I actually in year two of our marriage sat down and, and wrote out kind of a family vision statement and we've tried to continue to, to orient our lives around that. And so I would just encourage you, make a choice. What kind of legacy do you wanna live? There's a couple of, um, of, of quotes. One of them I like this, James Cabell says, while it is well enough to leave footprints on the sand of time, it is even more important to make sure that they point in a commendable direction. Would you agree with that? And then Proverbs 4:26 says, ponder the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. You know, the Bible says we ought to give thought to the path of our feet. We ought to take some time to think about where we wanna go in life and what kind of legacy that we want to leave. And so I would just encourage you to do that, to, to, to reflect, what do, you want, what do you wanna be said about you? What, what do you want your kids to say about your your legacy, you know, you have the whole, um, what are the words that you would want to be etched on your tombstone? And that's a great way to think about it, except for, I, I'm not super motivated by that because I'm gonna be gone, I'm gonna be enjoying myself in heaven at that point. So I like to think about it this way. Imagine yourself at, at your retirement party. And for some of you, that's a long way away. Some of you, it may have already happened. But imagine you're at your retirement party and a couple groups of people stand up to share some thoughts about their experience with you. Your, your spouse, what would they say about you at your retirement party? Your, your kids, what would, what would you want them to say about you at your retirement party? And then your coworkers and your friends, what would you want these groups of people to say about you? And, and then begin to orient your steps in that direction. And so I would just encourage you to, to consider that. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? One of the ways you can do that is to develop, as Josh was talking about, family values. 
or what I would say is a philosophy of life? Do you have principles that drive your life? And um, I have four. These are my own. You can jot them down if you want to and, and uh, you know, branch out from that. But um, I, I talk to a lot of church planters especially, and I tell them, if you'll do these four things, you'll be successful. I can guarantee you success. And I, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't, I don't care what kind of business you're in. If you'll have these four values, four things, I think you'll, you'll have a great chance of being successful. Here they are. Here's my personal values is put God first in everything you do. Put God first. You know, Jesus, there are all kinds of scriptures in the Bible that are promises according to that. Jesus says, seek first God's stuff. Put him first, and he'll give you the things that you need. Uh, and, and so uh, Debbie and I, early on, we've done the best that we can to do that. I haven't always succeeded, but we've, we've done the best we can, and we filter decisions through that. I remember 40 years ago, we said, you know what? This is what we want to build our marriage on. We started with our finances, and we didn't have finances. And then there was a lot of time raising four kids on a very small salary in a small church in Northern Illinois, where it was tested, but we said, we're gonna put God first in our finances. And we began to, at that point, give him 10%. We had an envelope system, and we put you know, money in the envelopes and paid God first, paid ourselves second, tried to live on 80%, 10, 10, 80. We've lived that for uh, 40 years now. And uh, putting God first in finances, in schedule, in decisions, all that. Second thing is treat people right. Treat people right. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the Bible says, that uh, here's how we relate to everybody, whether it's at work, home, or whatever, in the church. He said, treat the older men as fathers. It's a relationship. Treat the younger men as brothers. He's, he's telling a, a pastor this, young Timothy. He says, treat the older women as moms, mamas, and treat the younger women as sisters. And then he says, and don't be hitting on them, okay? Uh, you can read that. It's a little different than that, but that's kind of what it, what it says. Treat people right. Always, is, is, is this what I would like other people to do to me? Here's the third thing is work hard. Work hard. Um, I believe that hard work trumps talent about 99% of the time. You may not have all the talent. You may not have the best circumstances. Other people may be set up different than you are. Doesn't matter. You can't control that. But what you can control, Miles, I tell you this about soccer all the time, is you can control your hustle. Don't let anybody out hustle you. You're gonna work harder than anybody else. It, I ought to say, within the context of six days a week and honor a Sabbath. God did his startup in six days. You can do yours in six days and honor God with that. And then the, the fourth thing, which will derail all of those, you can do all of those things, put God first, treat people right, work hard, and you can be de derailed if you don't get the fourth one right, and that's this, don't do anything stupid, okay? <laughs> Don't do, I, I've known guys and girls did all those other things and, and just made some really stupid choices. And it derails legacy, it derails family, all of those kind of things. So first thing is uh, be intentional. What, where do I want to go? What do I want the legacy of my family to be? Second thing uh, is see yourself uh, as a runner in a relay race. See yourself as a runner in a relay race. Um, there's a scripture, great scripture in Psalm 145 and verse four. says, one generation commends your works to another. One generation, mine, commends God's works to another. 
They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. It, it talks about a relay. That's how the gospel is continued. And uh, Jason, you were a relay runner in high school. In fact, you were on a team that won a state championship and set a state record. Tell us what, what, what do you think are the most important things about running uh, uh, as a relay race? Yeah, um, I love uh, team sports and I played basketball, football, soccer, and then we would uh, come out to run track after the soccer season and uh, love relay because it's a team race. That championship team was awesome. Josh, were you a part of that team? I can't nope, remember. I was not. Oh, I was, uh, yeah. I was in a solo sports. Solo, at that point. Yeah. yeah, right. Some things haven't changed. <laughs> um, we're joking, by the way, sort of. Um, so, uh, yeah, in a relay race, uh, there's, uh, if you want to be a successful relay team, there's a few things that are really important. The first one is uh, every step I take impacts everyone else on the team. And uh, in life and in a family, every step that I take impacts uh, the whole family. And so uh, inevitably, you know, you're going to fall. And that's what's great about a relay team is that we can pick each other up. We can inspire and encourage each other. And I remember as Surratt's growing up, um, several values that you instilled and mom instilled in us. And one was that we're Surratt's and Surratt's stick together. Yeah, and usually when you have to stop and establish a value, it's because something happened and you need to kind of fix that. And uh, do you remember why we installed that? I do, yeah. So uh, not long after we moved to Charleston, we were in a, a tragic car accident and um, I was actually in a coma, had a skull fracture, surgery on my ear, um, just kind of a dark time for our family. And uh, Josh made it even darker by taking stones and throwing them at me. At you? Yeah, in the neighborhood. Him in the and, neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. There were some bully boys in the neighborhood because yeah. you were different, had your head stitched yeah. up and bandaged up, and they threw rocks yeah. at you, and one of them was your brother. Josh was a bully. Well, yeah. So, a couple thoughts about that. One, that was 40 years ago. It's probably you should get over that about now. But, um, but no, I, it's true, you know, and, I, and I reflect on that now as an adult, and I think there was probably some things going on. One, he had had all the attention. You know, he got hurt bad, and, you know, our family was just in disarray, but I was hanging out and some boys were throwing rocks at Jason. And for the record, I've always maintained, I was throwing the rocks over your head, right. not at your head. I, yeah. I knew I wasn't gonna hit you. I was just kinda uh, trying to scare you a little bit. Peer but, pressure. <laughs> a little peer pressure. But I, I, I remember that. I remember being pulled aside and, and dad pulled us in and when Jason kinda shared what was going on, and he said, guys, we are Surratt's. And Surratt's stick together. That's one thing you have to do. He said, if you are a Walters, you can do whatever you want to, but Surratt's <laughs> stick. Just kidding, Abel, you gotta stick together too. <laughs> uh, but, but I do remember that being such an important value because the enemy divides, right? I mean, that's what Satan tries to do and, and he does it in our families, he does it at work and to learn that, man, no, unity is an important thing. And I remember this, I remember a few years later, just so you know that we've, we've buried the hatchet here, I remember you got in a fight with a kid named Pat, I don't know if you remember that, right. and uh, we came to, came to your back and we kicked some tail. And so we, we <laughs> did come together, we, we've, yeah, come on. Where you at, Pat, huh? Uh, so, but we did, we, we competed a lot, we were close in age, but man, we stuck together and we, we won stuff together, we competed together, and it, it was a good value that I've now taught my own family, that we stick together. Unity is a big deal in your family. Yep, so every step you take impacts others. Secondly, uh, stay in your lane and run your own race. I mean, 
Don't compare yourself with another family. Know what your values are and stick to those. Um, I remember this may be controversial, but uh, education was not like on the top of our priority list. And, it was up there. Well, up there, but we, you know, we were told, like Dad said, do your best, work hard, do your best, and and let let the rest, you know, settle its, itself out. So, I'm not going to tell that story. Okay. Okay. All right. So, anyway, that Dad got in trouble with some educators during yeah. the last service, but we won't go go back yeah. there. So. so, figure out your family values <laughs> and stick to them. Uh, the third thing is get the handoff right. In a, in a relay race, almost always a race is won or lost with the handing of the baton. And uh, in families, figure out your fami family values, how to hand them off. Every family is unique and, uh, and do a good job of that. So what I would ask, just as you're kind of evaluating yourself, is how you doing? How you doing on your leg of the race, okay? Uh, are you advancing the baton? Will the world be better off because of you? Will your family be better off because of you? Um, how are you advancing the baton and what are you doing to advance it, okay? So, um, be intentional. Uh, see yourself as a runner in a relay race. And here's the third thing, if you're gonna leave a legacy, and that's never give up when you fail. Never give up when you fail. And uh, notice we said when you fail. It's not if, you're going to. You, you're gonna fail a lot and in a lot of different ways. Um, Proverbs 24 and verse 16 says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. What, what, what I would say is, is when you fall, pick something up while you're down so you can learn from your failure. Okay, failure's not, failure's inevitable, uh, but you don't have to stay there. It says, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. So the godly get up, the wicked uh, stay out. And uh, so we, we all have failure stories. Dad, I, I know, it, was, there, was there ever a time in life when you really felt like a failure? Yes, there was a time that I just was sure I was a total failure in so many areas. And uh, we've always been a close family. You can see by the extreme closeness up here that we are a close family. And uh, we, we were a free family. Uh, spirits and we we met every day we had dinner together it was humanly possible and no subject was out we talked yeah that's freely. when you would look at me and go your hair is too long when are you going to get a haircut so we talked about anything oh yeah <laughs> especially hair that didn't exist but <laughs> doesn't exist it did back then <laughs> but we were a close family. We, we did everything, a lot of things together. But then my, uh, my second child, and we were so proud. Greg, Greg was our oldest and the firstborn in the family and all of that. And uh, then the second uh, child was our daughter. And I was so thrilled. There, there's something about a dad and, and that little girl that's so sweet and so touching. And, and I called her my little sunshine. And uh, just a, a, a blessing, uh, radiant all the time. And then she became a teenager. <laughs> and everything changed. I mean, the whole world changed. She became surly. 
she became uh, slovenly in her clothing and her and even bathing and running with a crowd that were incredibly b the wrong crowd and and she brought a disruption into the home we we no longer could have discussions because it would wind up in an ugly scene and she was anti everything and everybody and she would tell me i wish i hope you die i wish i I'd, I'd never known you and and i would I would just say, well, I'm sorry about that. I hope you learn to love me, but I love you, and I won't change. And, but it, it just got worse and worse. She chose as her boyfriend the biggest drug dealer on that part of town in the city of, of Denver. And, and just downhill in every direction, the school sent notice she had been cutting classes. I went to see a counselor and said, what can we do? And the counselor looked through the file, said, this is an example uh, of uh, 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 average teenage de uh, development. And I said, no, it's more like abnormal demon possession. <laughs> <laughs> and we were desperate. And I, I tried, we tried everything. I even, at one point, stayed at her side for 24 hours. We did not get apart. When, when she went to the bathroom, I stood outside. When she went to bed, I laid on a pallet at, on the floor it, just to establish some kind of a contact, some kind of a rapport. And she would say, I hope you die. I, I hate you. And, and it was very destructive. I prayed about it. I tried. And then I decided I've got to get my daughter out of this environment. The crowd she ran with were not fit for anybody to associate with. And nothing but trouble. And I said, I've got this. I can't let my family go this way. I can't let my daughter go this easy. And so I decided I had to leave the city of Denver because of the environment and the, and the groups that were there. And it, it, it was very hard for the family. We all loved Colorado. We, my children were born there. And, and we just, it was, I had the best friends in the world and still have my best friends live there. But I, I thought, I, my family, it comes first. And I've got to do something. And so... I accepted the call of a small church in the, city, in the state of Missouri to come and, and we want you to be our pastor. And at first I said, absolutely not. But then I thought I've got to do something. And so we uh, packed up and I put everything we had in a U-Haul truck and we started east toward Missouri. And it, I, I drove a ways, and then it, it came to me. This is my 40th birthday. I'm 40 years old. I'm a total flop at everything. I've not been able to be a good father. I'm, I'm not a good pastor. I've just, everything in my life is at a dead standstill. Yes, and I felt absolutely worthless. Like a failure.
the rest of that story, because my sister's watching and she wanted to make sure that I gave the rebuttal. Uh, <laughs> she texted me after the last service, but uh, God worked a miracle in her life. I, I had given up on her. I thought, she can't change. I, I remember one time in Denver, I pulled her drug dealing uh, boyfriend out through the window of his van, just because I wanted to get closer and talk to him a little better. <laughs> and, uh, and, and God changed her life. And uh, she's a godly woman, and uh, just, just incredible how God did that. But dad felt like a failure, felt like at 40 years old, uh, he's a failure as a pastor, family, and all of that. And what we can tell you is that his best ministry was ahead of him. It really, it really was. And, and that's a principle for all of us. You know, we all have failure stories. I mean, I've got, uh, it, I won't tell it all, but uh, if we'd have stopped at Jason, I would have done um, uh, parenting seminars on how to raise good kids because he, he was easy naturally. But then Josh came along and uh, there were some challenges. There were a couple. That's all we're going to say. But God worked them out and now he's my boss. So uh, anyway, <laughs> what I want to do, we all fail, but we're going to get up. I want to take the last just few minutes and uh, let's pass the baton around. And I want each one of these guys to just give us a little nugget about what would you say to your generation? What would you say to your generation, Miles? Well, the first thing I would say to my generation is this is just the start of life. And if you think it's, gonna, it's hard now, then it's going to get worse. <laughs> but <laughs> um, don't lose hope and never give up. If people put you down because you're young, prove them wrong and get back up. If there's a storm in life, get through it and bring the storm, be the storm. Mm. And I just wanna talk about a verse for a second. First Timothy 4.12, get the word out, teach all these things, and don't let anyone put you down because you are young. Teach believers with your life, by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, and by integrity. And remember, well, this isn't part of the verse, but remember that our our mission is on earth is to be ambassadors for Christ. It's good. Come on. Proud of this boy. Uh, I, I would say I'm 38, and so uh, talking to those of you that maybe are in your 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, just it's our time. Uh, we've been the beneficiaries of, of legacies, or we've been impacted by legacies, either for positive or negative. Uh, but it's time for us to stop making excuses or sitting back in the shadows and, and step up and lead and be the legacy creators for our families, for our kids. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And I would just encourage you, if you're in that area of life when you're 20s, 30s, 40s, man, it's time for us to take our place, to own the moments that we have, to own our responsibilities as moms and dads and you know, coworkers and friends and really uh, take our place as our generation because these days will be behind us soon. It's our time to leave a legacy and make a difference. It's good. Not to throw any rocks, Josh, but uh, it's good to hear that you put your childish ways behind you, so <laughs> it's about time. Seriously. Uh, if you're sitting here today, you're in one of our campuses, uh, you're in the top few percentage of people in the world as it relates to finances, where we live, what an incredible blessing it is to be here, to be a part of this church. Um, and I would say that we're blessed to be a blessing. And so figure out 
uh, what that means to you, the way you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, is a reflection of your values. So decide what you value and invest in it. Family is certainly uh, a place to start uh, doing Turn that. Turn to me. We'll get him last. I just want to give one. Um, so I'm speaking to men and women who maybe you're in your 50s, 60s. Um, here's what I would say to you, is embrace the next season. Embrace it. Sometimes we feel like, you know, I, I, I don't, maybe my best is behind or whatever. No, I want, I want to tell you to embrace your next season. One story I remember a few years ago, not very many years ago, three or four maybe, and uh, part of my responsibility was to get up and give the vision for the staff for the new year at Seacoast. And so I'd been working on it, working on it, working on it, and I could get nothing. I could get nothing. And I, I felt frustrated. I felt guilty because I wasn't doing my job as a leader, as, as the, the, the guy. You're, you're a visionary. And so I talked to Chip Judd, who's on our staff now. And I said, Chip, what do I do with this? And he said, this is God. He's, it, God's telling you, prepare for your next. He said, you know, he told me, he said, you can't build a church for the next generation, but you can build next generation leaders. And so you need to embrace that. I went to a life coach who talked to me about the six stages of a, life, uh, of a man's life from the Old Testament. And he said, they start be, being a, a boy, and that Miles is their boyhood. And then, and then he called it a cowboy, which is the... Uh, stage of discovery, adventure, you get your first job, first driver's license, all that. Then a warrior, you're a warrior uh, when you enter the marketplace and you take care of yourself. Uh, a lover is when you find a spouse. And then a king is kind of where the penultimate is. You know, you're, you're the king of your castle. You're the king of the business. You're, you're, and it's good to be king. How many of you know that? And I've enjoyed being king for a long time, but here's what the counselor said. He said, you're gonna enter the best phase that you've ever been, and that's the sixth one, and, and that's a wise sage. He said, you won't be a king, but you'll be the counselor to many, 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 many kings. And you know, in the world that we live in, um, you read article after article about how this is a fatherless generation, a motherless generation. We have a responsibility uh, uh, and a privilege at our age to be a father and to be a mother. And to, and, and to speak into the lives of, see, fathers don't compete. Brothers compete. When fathers compete with their sons, it's weird. And so we don't compete. We just complete. And so God, we have an opportunity to do that. Dad, what would you say to the retired people in our church? Don't quit. <laughs> Whatever else you do, don't quit. I, as Pat, uh, Pastor Greg so generously told you, I'm a nearly 84 years old, and I am retired. Now, retiring doesn't mean you don't work. It means you don't get paid for it. <laughs> so, if you're in a valley, if you're, if, if, if you're experiencing depression, don't stay there. Climb the mountain. You're closer to the mountaintop than you realize. And these are the good years. These are the good days. We have time that we never knew we had. So just don't quit. Oh, that's good. I like that. All right, Dad. Why don't you pray for us, pray for the congregation. Will you do that? Sure. Father, 
We're so thankful that you have prepared a way for all of us. You have established the march. You have given your son, and, and his son has given his life for us and for our time. Thank God for hope, for there is always hope in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will reach into every heart, that one that has lost, that, the, that, that is in a, a point of no return, that one that can't see the future. Lord, give them a future, give them faith, and bless their lives in the name of Christ. Amen.